There we go. So we're going to be looking at James and starting in the very first chapter and the very first verse where it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the world, among the nations, greetings. That's probably as far as we'll get in James today. <laughs> you see, James wrote a book that was uh, about a, a church that was beset by a, a, a multitude of problems. Um, there was divisiveness in the church. There was intolerance. There was uh, favoritism. There was a, 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 this overwhelming desire for, for wealth and for status, for uh, people to get ahead of everyone else. There was false teaching in there that uh, just uh, compounded the selfishness and all of these uh, ungodly activities that were going on. It was sanctioned by this false teaching and was even acceptable and, and even considered an exemplary way of doing life. The danger of this kind of false system is both obvious and rather lethal. Uh, and perhaps most severe of these tensions uh, is the div dividing of the wealthy though, or those who de desire to be wealthy from the poor in the community. And so James' desire is to create a Christian community that was true to the teaching of Jesus and to try to uh, take away all of the problems that we're going to be dealing with. And to be honest with you, there's a, a lot of this that wasn't going to be able to happen. It, it, we're still struggling with it in our churches today. So we looked at this very first verse. And um, one of the things that comes out is, who is James? And the, the problem is that, you know, especially in early centuries, they often went by just their first name, right? There wasn't always a, a family name uh, uh, tied to it. And so you go, well, who is James? Well, James actually is kind of the, the, the English coming through the Greek uh, word for Jacob, actually. It's a common name. And we look in scripture and we find that there are at least four James that are mentioned. Uh, the first is James, the son of Zebedee, who was also the brother of John, one of the other apostles. They were known to remember they were nicknamed the sons of thunder. You know, yep. They were the ones yeah. that wanted to call, you know, uh, thunder and, and judgment down on people. Lord, we'll take care of that for you. Just give us the word. We'll say it. You know, we'll. Uh, they were a little, uh, you know, excited about that. And it's interesting that he was the very first of the disciples uh, to give his life for Christ. He was killed by Herod in, in 44 AD. So it probably wasn't James, the son of Zebedee, or, uh, and the brother of John. There's another James. There's James, the son of Alphaeus. He's another disciple that's listed in the scripture, and we really don't know a whole lot about him. It is kind of interesting, though, that James, the son of Alphaeus, is actually related to another one of the disciples. And this is something that we often miss. Anybody yeah. have a guess as to who he was related to? Matthew? Yeah, thank you. Someone, someone has read, uh, was it Mark, I think? Mark mentions that, uh, that Levi was the, another name for Matthew. And Levi is identified also as a son of Alphaeus. Uh, just as a side note, 
I think I've read that for years and, and it wasn't until recent that I, I remembered or found out or put it all together. And I'm going, do you know that in the, and again, small rabbit trail here, you know, that of those 12 disciples, there are three sets of brothers in those 12 disciples. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. There's James and John. There's Andrew and Peter. Yeah. And there's James and Matthew or Levi. That brings out a whole lot of questions that we don't have any answers for because James, the son of Alphaeus, is just mentioned as one of the disciples and then more or less disappears from Scripture after the 12 are dispersed and they go their various ways and minister wherever they ministered at. But well, I can't help well, one... Which James was around for like the Last Supper? Uh, well, that would have been James, the son of Zebedee and James, uh, the son of Alphaeus. Okay. Both James, both 12, uh, all the 12 were there. Yeah. So, uh, but it does make me wonder if Matthew was a tax collector, I wonder how James and he got along. Were they in the same camp? Did they disagree? Were they at odds with each other? You know, I, it, I just from a, a, just a strictly, I'm just wondering, I, and we have no way of knowing, the scripture doesn't tell us, it's totally blank, but it does make me wonder about James's thought process and where did he stand with Matthew on this subject of you know taxes and, and over taxation of the people and getting rich etc there's another James also mentioned that's James the father of Judas another disciple this is really really obscure guy and the, in the King James um, it says in Luke 6 when it mentions him it says brother it probably really ought, ought to be father if we, if we look at the Greek, I'm not sure why it was translated in, in the KJV brother, but it would appear that he is uh, uh, this Judas, who is the son of James, is to distinguish him from another Judas that we all know and don't love, Judas Iscariot. So that gives us three of the four James. There's one other possibility, and this is the one, by the way, I think is correct, and it's James who is considered the son or the or the son of Joseph, who is the uh, the half-brother, if you will, of our Lord. Uh, it would seem that he identified, he, he's very humble about who he is. He calls himself the servant of God, and we'll get into that word in a little bit, but, um, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew tells us, and, and Mark tells us that, um, he had that Jesus had other brothers and sisters. In fact, it says in Matthew 13, verses 55 and 66, uh, the people are going, hey, isn't that the carpenter's son? You know, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't all of his sisters here with us? Where did this man get all of these things from? And also they go on to say, who is he to tell us what to say? You know? Isn't it interesting that a man is, a prophet is not is without honor in his own country or in his own city often. Uh, it's hardest when you can remember what they were like when they were growing up. Although I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been Jesus growing up in the community. And I can't imagine James hearing probably the umpteenth time, why can't you be like your brother, Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. That would be a, a really tough act to follow, you know. 
Mark says that isn't this in this passage a very similar passage? Is uh, isn't it? His, doesn't he have brothers James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense to what he had to say. Now, of course, Joseph was not Jesus' father, and we believe that Mary had other children. Now, uh, the, the Catholic theology states that Mary was a perpetual virgin, and so they will say that either these are cousins or they're um, they're uh, they're fathered by Joseph from another mother, um, but they will say they're not part of the. Uh, and I, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll figure it out. Uh, mm. I happen to think that Mary was and Joseph had relationships after <laughs> Jesus was born and had children, but um, I'm I'm not going to argue about it. It's not a to me. It's it's a minor point in what we're studying, but. Uh, Jesus did have, it would appear, and yet you find that, um, you know, Jesus is, uh, his brothers didn't believe him, his sisters didn't believe him, and yet, this is interesting, in Acts chapter 1, in the upper room, you find that there are a group of people there praying, 120 of them, right? Yep. Here's what it says in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Fascinating. Sometime after the resurrection, his brothers came to believe that he truly was the Messiah, the Savior. The son of, of God. In fact, we think that what happened was that Jesus appeared to James after his resurrection. I can't imagine. Can you imagine having the uh, <laughs> Jesus talking? I don't know how. I'm assuming Jesus is the oldest. Can you imagine? This? Hey, Squirt, come here. I got to talk to you. <laughs> we, we need to have a little conversation here. <laughs> Because in, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 7, Paul says that he appeared to James and then all of the apostles. So we think that that's probably the James that is his, his brother. So he turns, he becomes, uh, he becomes a pillar in the church. In Galatians, he's called that. Galatians 2, he's called a, He's the moderator of the council of the Jerusalem council, the first council in which they, they bind and loose various restrictions on the church. You know, they use the keys of the kingdom that Peter and the, and the apostles were given. And in Acts chapter 15, James is the moderator. Uh, Jesus, uh, when, when Peter was delivered from, from prison in Acts 12, he sends a special message to James. By this time, his brother is dead. James, uh, uh, or, or James, uh, uh, John's brother is dead. So, and, and it's James, who's the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And, uh, and Paul, when he visits Jerusalem, it says that he brought greetings and a special love offering from the Gentiles, and it was given to James and the church. Now, 
We know that he became a very spiritual man. He probably was a very spiritual man before, but he certainly exceeded. Can you imagine that he becomes not the not any of the apostles, but he becomes the head of the of the Jerusalem church, the mother church, if you will. And he's able to bring together differing groups and weld them together in a community in Acts chapter 15. That's a pretty significant guy. He had that kind of, of moral and spiritual authority in a church. Um, I don't know if it helped or hindered him being Jesus' brother in that particular situation. But regardless, he was apparently a man who was amazing. It would appear that he was a married man, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 9, 5, where Paul talks about the fact that, you know, he's not married, but, you know, or he doesn't, he just assumed that people were of a particular way, but he says James was married. So James is a Jew reared in the traditions of, of the Mosaic law. Uh, it really, as we look throughout this letter, we see a lot of that Jewish understanding of the law brought out in this little book that we have. And so then the next question is that we find that, so we think that that's, that's who he is. Um, I got to jump my notes here. Hang on. I got to get to. Hey, Val. Yeah. Sometimes when, when uh, the New Testament's talking about the Lord's brothers, I think they're really talking not about his half brothers or brothers like James, but just brothers as in right his you know part yep. of him. because i mean like, like the one thing you referred to you know uh chapter 15 it talks about you know that he you know he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time yep and in that case we're talking about believers aren't we yeah so it's and, a but different even, way of referring yep right and even even in in like First Corinthians nine. I mean, I don't know. If we can necessarily say that he's talking about James, where he says that you know, at, you know, the other brother, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas had wives. I mean, that could be. That may not be James. Could be. I, I would tend to think that it's kind of, it probably is because he's using it as an example about, about who's married and who isn't and the positives and negatives of being in ministry and not being uh, married. Well, I, I just, find, I always find that interesting that, you yeah. know, that. that let's mention, that, let, let's mention along with that, Mark chapter three, where he's, uh, he's, he is told by uh, some of his people that uh, they're outside of the group that he's talking to, the crowd, and he's told that your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus goes on to say in Mark chapter 3, verses 33, he says, who is my mother and my brothers? And he goes on and looks at those that are seated around him in the circle, and he says, here I'm, here's my mother and here are my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a sense to which um, he refers to people that follow him as being part of the brothers. Uh, and, you know, in the Catholic Church, brother is used to distinguish what? 
Priests. Priests and? And brothers. Friars. Yeah. Friars, yeah. Uh, what are sisters? Nuns. Nuns. But the idea is anybody who is a follower of Jesus, who is mm -hmm. a female, is a sister. And that's why today in many churches, um, especially in the South, I find this, or churches with Southern roots, in, at least in the Baptist circles, will often refer to brother so-and-so. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep. Sister so-and-so. And, and, and often in, the, in, in black churches, you'll hear that same uh, phrase used. Why? Because they're indicating that if you're a part of the family of God, you're a brother or a sister. So, um, you know, I, I, as an aside, I mean, that it's interesting, the doctor that I, my doctor that I'm treating with, uh -huh. uh, he's from Africa. He refers to all the women that like the, the, the PA and the nurse practitioner that makes the rounds with them as sister. Ah, interesting. Mm. He calls yeah. Janet mother. Oh really? Um, that's that's what the, all the Africans will say, even uh, when we we when we were in Castelvetrano, mm -hmm. they will be calling themselves brothers and sisters, but that's because of the region they were coming from, rather than either blood relatives or even faith. It's a big difference. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's more. For instance, I become a Baba like a father you know you are a father uh, okay not really well they saw it as a respect for age right rather than either spiritual or physical father i will say more in a spiritual way they were saying that about to me and like tomaso and so on and so forth because we were a, an important part in their lives and we are still naturally mm -hmm. so it's good uh, you know sometimes i try to distance it but i couldn't because they still do that even pastor godwin over up there in the florence area north of florence says the same thing mm -hmm. uh, to me it's an honor and actually a privilege to be respected in that fashion and like balen and you guys when you came because you show your love, that's the way you're seen to them. Mm -hmm. Even now that we are, quote unquote, not directly in touch with them. It's a, it's a custom, I will say. It's something yep. that being... Um, it's uh, a way of showing honor. And, right. Uh, uh, respect. Respect. Exactly. Yep. So... So we get to hear that James is a servant of uh, Jesus, uh, of Jesus, of God. What's the? What do you think the word servant means? Back in, in my Bible, it says bond servant. Bond servant, okay. Which is different because bond has to do with money, as we know. Well, yeah. and being bond. bought out, bought out so, at a price for. The word in the Greek, it just, it can be translated several different ways. It can be translated slave. Uh, sometimes it's translated servant. Um, Fulfiller of my will. 
I'm sorry? Fulfiller of my will. Okay, fulfiller of my will. That's a good, <laughs> good definition. In the in the in in this time frame, there were at least four different types of servants. Uh, you had a Roman slave that was little more than had nothing to do with race, and of that, you had the most egregious were those that were put into slavery in the mines. It was normally reserved for people who had been judged as enemies of the Roman state and or criminals. And so they were put in the mines to work and to die. You had a second kind of slavery, which were the rural slaves. They would be more or less what we would consider to be people who were out there to work on the farms. Um, not a whole lot different than perhaps the closest we'd come to that is maybe migrant migrant workers today who move from, they move from farm to farm, but these are people that stayed on the farm and worked the farm uh, for the master. The other type of slavery was, and the one that was most often attributed in the New Testament was probably the urban household slave. This was the, the, the person that, you know, uh, that lived fairly well. Um, they had uh, personal benefits. <laughs> Because they were in the household, they, they, they had food, they had shelter, they trained in a skill. Uh, they, they could work towards um, uh, being uh, freed by the, the, their master. Um, it was a, a process, uh, man's submission uh, was a process by which a slave was legally set free by the slave owner. And often after several years of service, they were set free. Some say that it happened in some cases, it happened automatically at age 30. Mm. Um, there was a final type of slavery. It was an imperial slave. And these were slaves are in the household of the emperor. And in some cases, these, held, these slaves held positions of power and wealth that was second only to the emperor himself. In fact, in the Old Testament, think about this. The word that is translated in the Septuagint that translates the Hebrew word servant or slave is the same word that is used here to describe James. And it has the idea of a person who is designated with the honor of being the servant of David or the servant of God, hmm. in which case you are somebody who has authority because you represent that person. So there's a whole lot of things mixed up in this word that we, we term servant, which is why in this particular case, they probably chose servant versus slave uh, in many of the translations. So he's a servant of God and a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he's a servant of both people, God the Father and God the Son. All right, let's talk for a minute about the 12 tribes. Why is he writing to the 12 tribes? To show they're still around. Okay, that's a good possibility. What else? What else do you think? The message primarily needs to go to Israel before it gets passed into the Gentiles, to okay. you and me. All right. That's, That's the, 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 prime, the primary purpose of God was to uh, rescue the chosen people, which okay. he chose. 
All right. So that's, that's a good possibility. That's a good one. What else? Well, they're going to be the one hundred and forty-four thousand in Revelation. <laughs> by the way. Oh, okay. All right. That, that's not where I was headed, but good. Someone has read the end of the book. Yeah. Any wow. any any other thoughts? Okay, let me give you my thought on this. Um, I think what you've said to say both both of you have said something is is a very very possible and very probable inclusion in this. I think there's a little more to this. And I think it has to do probably with the date of the writing. Hmm. The date of the writing that most scholars put this is about 50 AD. Now, some people put it about 10 years later, which would, because James dies, this particular James dies at approximately 62 AD. Right. But if, if you wrote it around 50 AD, it would make sense that he's addressing it to the nation, to the people of Israel, to the Jews. Why? Who were the first believers? Jews. Jews. What happened to them early in the, the, the beginning of the church, about, about uh, 10 years after, um, about 10 years after the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, what happens? Persecution. Persecution. What happens when those people that are believers are persecuted and leave? Scattered. They, and they go and they're scattered. They scatter. What happened to the day of Pentecost? Who were there? Jews from all over. Where did exactly. they go? All back to their homes eventually. You got people that, are, that, are, that were in Jerusalem for Pentecost that go back to their homes. You got believers who are scattered because of persecution and so who are the primary people in the early early years of the church jews jews and so i think that he's writing this specifically is this is perhaps one of the very first books that's written in new testament time hmm. and it's written specifically to the jews because why well they were the ones that were primarily believers at that point it's not to say there weren't Gentiles, but again, the overarching majority of the people that were believers in the early church were Jews. Well, I think that he wrote it because he wrote it, he was writing it to the Jews. And remember, they were all people who had been where? At his church. Hmm. He's the lead elder. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And he's the one who's concerned about his flock. And so yep. what's he going to do? He's going to write to his people. Hmm. And I think that's what he's doing. Is he's writing to his people, setting up the, the fact that he's telling them, hey, I want you to, to be aware of what's going on. And I, I want to give you some information. He writes very similar. Let me see if I can find some this information here. He writes uh, very similarly uh, as though it, it's almost as though he's writing in Old Testament concepts, although he's still very well educated. He writes in really good Greek, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, the Jewish orientation of this, this letter uh, seems to fit really well in an early period, uh, like I already mentioned. The absence of any controversy between the Judaizers 
with their insistence on Gentiles being circumcised and uh, you know obeying all the laws of uh, of Moses, that whole issue, that's absent in this letter, which again would seem to indicate to me that it's an early writing because they're not dealing with Judaizers at the moment. Uh, Jesus uh, teaches uh, throughout this, you know, his time in the Gospels and James. In fact, for those of you who, have, who took and read the first, uh, read my email from this morning, you'll notice there was an attachment. The attachment is, is a look at James and comparing what James has to say with what Jesus has to say. And you'll notice that there's a huge overlap. Uh, it's like James listened to everything that Jesus had to say and said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm just going to add on to this and just, you know, agree with, with my brother. Hmm. And so there, the other thing I would say is that he teaches, he talks about leaders as teachers and elders in this book. We haven't gotten here yet, but chapter three and chapter five refer to elders and teachers. And that would again be something that is a Jewish perspective. Remember, um, usually when you're speaking to the Jews and they're used to a synagogue and they're used to the way of synagogue runs in, in the way that it's oriented and ruled or, or led, if you will, uh, you have teachers and elders as part of that. When you get to Gentiles, you have a different set of terms that are going to be terms that make sense to them, such as bishop, overseer, you know, which gives you a whole different perspective. But again, makes sense if you're a, a Gentile, you understand the concept better. So I think you're, you've got concepts that are interchangeable throughout scripture. And I've, in the past, we've shown you why I think that's the, tr the case in other uh, studies. But in this particular case, let me just mention that. And then lastly, the fact is that he uses the term in chapter two, verse two, he talks about meeting or getting together. And the, the Greek term there is the term that's used for synagogue. So again, I would say that all of these kind of, to me, indicates that he's talking to people who are, um, uh, that are primarily Jews with a Jewish understanding of the church at that point in time. Gentiles have not been added. So it could be as early as 45 AD, could be as late as 50 AD in my thinking. And I'm, fortunately, I'm not the only one that thinks that. So I, I side with the majority on that. Um, again, oh, you talked. Yeah. I was just wondering if, uh, um, are we talking to Jews that believe already or not? Or, or yes. All Jews. Oh, no. no okay. Jews. That, yeah, that's a good question. And, and I think that it's, he's writing specifically to Jews who are already believers. Okay. And we get into this, a little more into this, and we're going to find that he's talking to Jews that are poor and Jews that are rich. And the question is going to be, are they talking to uh, Jews that are believers or non-believers? Yeah. And again, I would tend to think that he's speaking to Jews that are believers Yeah. Uh, in dealing with that issue as well. So that's a good question. That's a, uh, and and it, it is something that, that, you know, that's what we think based upon internal evidence and again depending upon how you process that evidence and boil it down you could, you might come to a different conclusion mm -hmm. i think you've got your sorry uh, sorry Go i didn't mean to interrupt no, no, um, I, I did uh, <laughs> <laughs> you may take a sip of coffee 
<laughs> Roman's um, pressure became stronger and stronger as you get closer to 70 AD. Yeah, oh, yeah. When you look at the book of James, it's almost written in a revelation type of scenario. Okay. One last, you know, hey, guys, you know, we got to get our ducks in a row or, um, you know, because the time is coming. Now, and there's a whole group man, out there that, that, that actually believe it's a late writing of that. And that's very possible. Yeah. It could be, I, it could be a 62, 60, you know, 60, 62 that he writes it right near the end of his life. And that's, and that's entirely possible. In which case it would be almost like the apocalypse is, is coming upon us, you know, because <laughs> about 66 is when uh, Jews revolt and, and Rome uh, steps in. And by 70 AD, it, it, they've destroyed the temple. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you know, it doesn't, warfare back in those days didn't happen quite as quickly as it does here. You know, we, we uh, it takes a while to move armies from one side of the, of the known world to the other side of the known world. And they only had a couple airplanes, so. Yeah. <laughs> they only had a few airplanes. That's right. Um, I would yeah, say this, that the situation that's going on here, uh, regardless of whether it's an early or a late understanding of it, um, of when this book is written, is that you're looking at, um, you're looking at uh, uh, the, Roman general Pompey cut through the Jewish territory, made almost all Jewish peasants landless. There was exorbitant taxes inherited by Herod the Great. It drove many of the small farmers off their land and onto more larger estates that were people that were wealthy. Um, there were a lot of uh, other Jews that became landless and became day laborers. Does that sound familiar with any of Jesus' stories of going out and hiring people at various times of the day to go work in his fields. He talks about that owner that does that. Mm -hmm. Again, that's that, that was very common because there was a, a many of the, uh, the people that were small landholders had lost their lands because mm -hmm. of, of high taxes and because of the resentment that they had for uh, the aristocratic landlords, which by the way, were often Sadducees just saying, um, there were there were uh, landowners that were so bad uh, that uh, they even had their own hit squads or of hired assassins to deal with. Um, you know, much like today, you you hire you hire <coughs> your goons to go over there and work over the, the the peasants that don't pay their their bills, right? So you've got that going on. You've got. Uh, uh, the priests who were uh, who were the aristocratic priests, and then you had the poorer priests, and the aristocratic priests were withholding the tithes that were due to the, the poorer priests, because that was the only means of support that they had. The aristocrats had land and they had lots of money, but they withheld. This is all what was going on during this time frame. There's a lot of violence going on as a result of this, and it culminates in 66 AD with uh, the Jews revolting uh, like they did some 200 years previous, 250 years previously with, under the Maccabees, only this time they lose. And they lose to Rome. 
And then the last, the very last stronghold, which was Masada, those of us who went to Jerusalem and went to yeah. Israel, we saw Masada. That that fell in 73 AD. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, any qu questions or comments? Yes. I have a question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> no, just to clarify, we're talking, he wrote to a specific group, not, I mean, I always have a problem with Jewish Christian because it's kind of a, you can't, I can't elect to be a Jewish, right? Because I'm not part of that official, you know, it doesn't, yeah. it's not my background. Be, I can't be, be Jewish. You can be adopted in the family. Well, yeah, but um, <laughs> to be Jewish and Christian is kind of like a, it's a conflict because you're talking A, culture and B, religion, right? So when we say it's a Jewish Christian, it's always, to me, it's always like kind of a weird statement. So he's writing well, to a specific audience that is going to be doubly persecuted? Eventually, yeah. yeah. Right now, they're, they're still kind of under the, under the radar because they're considered a Jewish sect. Right. And as such, they have the uh, uh, tacit approval uh, of the Roman government, but not of the Jewish government. So the Jewish government's run pretty much by the, um, even though they've got a Roman uh, governor, uh, he's allowing the, the Jews at the temple to kind of reign over the way that they practice their religion. They have, they, they were granted that, among others, by Herod, uh, who got it from Caesar uh, when he became the, the, um, the, the king of, of Israel back in the beginning of the first century. So yeah, there's they're 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 kind of uh, they're neither fish nor fowl, if you will, or maybe a little of both. At this point, they're learning that they're you know to practice their their faith the way that they understand it and they're being taught is going to violate some of the standards that the um, the Pharisees have set, and is going to fly in the face of some of the beliefs of the uh, Sadducees such as the resurrection of the dead, which the Sadducees didn't believe in, which is really tough when you got, you know, what yeah. do you do with Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so, it's, it's sort of encouraging, discouraging, I suppose. You're either going to be like them, doubly persecuted, as James yeah. Metz, or you should be encouraged because you're only going to be singly persecuted. These guys were doubly persecuted, and yet they followed. So... Yeah, we're going to get into that starting next week when we reach chapter one, verse two. <laughs> and we'll actually begin to, to unpack uh, this uh, this book. So, yeah, I didn't think we'd get very far today. We did. We got a little ways, which is good. Uh, we got all the way up through the, the 12 tribes scattered through the nations. So greetings and salutations. <laughs> By the way, this is written very much like a, a Gentile would write a, a letter. You start off by telling who you are. You give some uh, evidence of who you are, and then you address it to who you're addressing it to. Hmm. So instead of like we, when we write, we always put our name and our title at the bottom of the letter, signed hmm. by, you know, so-and-so. They started at the very top hmm. by putting who it came from. All right. That's going to be it for today. It's good.